Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. Thank you so much for listening and making a commitment to learning. We hope everybody is doing well. I am your host, Jordan Porter, joined by the keen, kind, and key component to this wonderful <laughs> podcast, <laughs> Yvonne Brandenburg. I was, I was a little bit worried. I was like, what is she going to do with the letter K? <laughs> hey, girl. Hey. Uh, Dude, it's November. Dude, tell me about it. What? <laughs> I I I can't believe it's November. I can't believe it's November of 2020 right now. Whew. I can't either. And I gotta say, I'm not quite prepared for like Christmas next month, like at all. Whoa. <laughs> My brain just exploded a little bit that that, yeah, like. Thanksgiving is coming up. Christmas is coming up. New Year's is coming up. Whew. We just survived Halloween. Oh, mm-hmm. it was really sad this year. I was so sad. Like, I don't know about you, but with COVID, pretty much nothing happened. And it's Halloween. It was a Saturday. It, you know, there was a blue moon. It was, the weather here was perfect. And, um, I just hung out with my husband and our best friends and yeah, it was really sad. I wanted an epic party this year and nope. We went trick-or-treating, but it ended like a lot faster than it normally does. Mm. And I mean, but the people who were giving out candy were giving out like king size candy bars this year. Because I think everybody was like, all right, well, let's see who shows up. Yeah, the the neighborhood that my friends live in, because that's where we went, um, they did like the little goodie bags with like mm-hmm. treats in it. And most people yeah, had a lot like of people did that. the table in front of their house. So yeah. I feel like more people actually put stuff out because there wasn't the pressure of having to open the door, <laughs> which is a really funny thing, but okay. Maybe. I don't trust the kids in my neighborhood though to like not take the entire thing. Yeah, I my think my kids were pretty good. Yeah, I think everybody I think everybody was kind of on good behavior this year too. That's good. At least in our neighborhood. Like I normally I there's like pumpkins everywhere smashed and oh, that, really? you know that didn't happen this year, so I feel like people are being good because they're like we can get out of the house. <laughs> but yeah, November. Oh boy. No, I'm kind of just ready for this year to be over. However, I I feel like somehow despite how 2020 is gone. I've actually accomplished a lot. (laughs) Like I've accomplished a lot of goals. Yeah. Well, I think it's because you can't do anything else. (laughs) Maybe you're like, I have to be at home. What can I do while I'm here? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe so. All right. Well, (sighs) we don't really have any shout outs or reviews this week. Um, honestly, between last Tuesday and this Tuesday, it's just flown by. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we, I think there's a couple of reviews that are still kind of out there that people haven't claimed. So if you would like your podcast sticker, please let us know if you leave a review because um, I have stickers to send to people. Um, I I really, you know, want to send them and I like them. I can post in our Facebook group again, show the adorable picture of the podcast sticker, make you guys jealous. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it, it, we, we have over 50 reviews, which is amazing. Um, we just hit 30,000 downloads, which is crazy to me. Jordan and I were just talking about that and it's like, I don't know how that happened, but it happened. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty crazy. (sighs) So thanks guys for listening. (laughs) So this week, um, we're jumping into feline hyperthyroidism. We're calling it feline hyperthyroidism because canine hyperthyroidism 
It's pretty rare. It's pretty rare. And I feel like it's treated very differently than feline because feline is, we'll talk about this, but feline is usually not cancerous. Whereas like, I think most of the times when it happens with dogs, it's because there's a thyroid tumor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Usually, but, and I didn't touch on dogs really yeah. at all, yeah. but this week's episode though, too, at the internal medicine for vet membership.com it's under podcast course. You can find your quiz and your one hour of CE race approved CE certificate. Once you complete the quiz members only can complete the quiz to get your certificate. Non-members though can use it for self-study in some places. So definitely don't forget to go check that out. Yeah. And it's, and it's a good reminder. Um, you know, all of our, all of our CE is internal medicine specific because again, we're internal medicine for vet text podcast. Um, so you, if you are looking for internal medicine specific, you know, continue education and like your work will pay for it. It's a really great way to do that. Uh, right now we're on episode 56. So we have over 50 hours of race approved CE. Um, so for the membership price, it's a really good way to talk to your, to your work about that. Um, so just, you know, if you need help figuring out how to approach your work, let us know. We can talk to you. (laughs) I think as we've already said, this week we're going to be discussing hyperthyroidism or thyrotoxicosis. Mm. Um, I know, right? I was like, let's throw in the fancy term. That is a fancy, fancy term. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I went went all out too on the like the anatomy and physiology too, because I just got my new anatomy book. And I was like, yes. Um, so the definition of this disease is excessive production and secretion of T4 and T3. We will talk more in detail about that here in a little bit. It's also typically characterized as like a benign tumor on the thyroid gland. So it can be hyperplasia, adenoma, or a multi-nodular like adenoma of the thyroid gland. It can be a malignant thyroid carcinoma, but it's pretty rare. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like Yvonne already said, based on our canine patients, they typically get more of the malignant thyroid issues. So back to basics. Ready? All right. So we're going to dive into anatomy and physiology, of course, because it's like my favorite <laughs> part when we discuss anything. <laughs> right. I need to go back to school and just be like an anatomy and physiology teacher. Mm. I think I would really enjoy that. Yeah. It, I remember teaching it in school and it was, it was difficult sometimes because like, you know, it, like, you know, the body mm-hmm. of an animal, right. You've, you've seen, <laughs> you've, you've touched things, you've seen things, whereas like students, they haven't yet. And so sometimes it's, it's like, so like trying to explain it to them. is like, <laughs> yeah. I think the only thing that would make me maybe not want to do that is the fact that it never changes. Like, it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> this is true. There's very little just discoveries of the body. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the thyroid gland is located on either side of the larynx and consists of two lobes. And then the thyroid gland itself is actually made up of thousands of tiny little follicles. And these tiny follicles are what produces the thyroid hormone. We're going to get into it because it's not just thyroid hormone that's produced, but we're getting to that. But (laughs) as a whole, it's called thyroid hormone. (laughs) Yes. The thyroid gland though produces a thyroid hormone precursor as well. And what that is, is it's like a raw material that is needed for thyroid hormone. And this is called colloid, which I found pretty interesting. (laughs) That's interesting that it's called colloid because isn't a colloid like a binder? Yeah. Hmm. But Hmm. this is also the only endocrine gland that stores large amounts of this precursor. So it's the only gland that like stores something that's meant to be used meant to be created into something different to be used by the body later. Hmm. Um, There are two hormones produced from the thyroid gland. So thyroid hormone and then calcitonin. Thyroid hormone is what we're gonna be talking about today a lot. It helps regulate the body's metabolism versus calcitonin helps regulate calcium levels within the blood, as you can kind of assume from the name. Right? (laughs) Yay, (laughs) something that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's also TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone. 
So we can all kind of take a stab as to what that does. <laughs> it's released from the anterior pituitary gland. And what it does is it then stimulates the thyroid gland to produce thyroid hormone. And thyroid hormone is actually two different hormones. T4, which is thyroxine, which is actually a pro-hormone. And then T3, which is, I'm going to butcher this, but I'm going to try it anyway, is triiodothyronine. Okay. Yeah. Which if you break that down, this is kind of cool iodine because yes. of iodine yes. yep which we're going to talk about next so <laughs> so t3 is tri iodithyronine which is active hormone so you have your pro hormone which is t4 and your active hormone which is t3 and fun fact the numbers the three and the four that come from t3 and t3 and t4 come from the number of iodine atoms that each molecule of the hormone contains yeah. And, and they are linked together by that iodine, which mm -hmm. when we're talking about treatment will come in handy. <laughs> and then, so much more T4 is produced from the thyroid gland, but T3 is the most like biologically active form of thyroid hormone. And that comes into play when we're testing. Mm-hmm. So T4 gets converted to T3 though in peripheral tissue. So T4 like kind of circulates as a, as like a storage kind of ready to activate. And then once it goes into the peripheral tissues, it converts to T3. So that happens in like the liver, the kidneys and the muscles on an as needed basis. So crazy. Right. So thyroid hormone though too also has a, I mean, we can kind of all take a stab at, it has a calorigenic effect, which helps heat the body and regulates the rate at which cells burn nutrients to produce energy. So this is why when it's overactive or underactive patients, metabolism changes. So it helps mm -hmm. generate heat in a patient's body just via cell metabolism. And this helps the body maintain like a constant internal temperature. So when it gets cold outside, their, their metabolism is burning a little bit faster to help keep them warm. And then, so cold temperatures therefore increase the production of thyroid hormone. And then emotional or physical stress though, can actually inhibit thyroid hormone production. So when some of these patients who are already kind of like leaning towards one way or the other become cold or stressed, they can actually be more susceptible to disease because their body kind of goes into overdrive, but it's also being inhibited by yeah, their stress effects. And this is one of the reasons why we don't want to test and diagnose for thyroid disease when a patient is sick or it's in the hospital or mm -hmm. anything like that. We want to try to minimize because, cause we call it the sick. You throw sick or. Yeah. You throw sick. Yeah. It's basically where the thyroid is actually normal, but again, because of stress and all that stuff, it the thyroid level goes down. Um, and so mm -hmm. you think they might be hypothyroid and they may not be. So that's just one of those, those things to kind of keep in mind. Mm -hmm. And then, so when hyperthyroidism is occurring, so too much hormone is being produced. Like we know from our term hyper. So too much hormone is being produced and circulated, circulated throughout the body. And what that does is excess thyroid hormone speeds up cellular metabolism all over the pet's body. So mm -hmm. it's telling the cells to just continue to create energy. And cats are usually unable to keep up with that increased metabolism and can't consume enough food to actually meet their body's energy consumption. And this usually results in weight loss or cachexia. Yeah. Because it's cachexic because they're eating. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, and muscle. that's one of those things, those classic things that you look for in a patient's history is you'll see that these cats just are starving. So they want to eat the whole time and they just cannot gain weight. Um, and so it's, 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 and it's usually the older cats, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so we look for these older cats that, um, are losing a ton of muscle mass. They're, they're losing weight, but the owners are like, no, they're starving. They want to eat anything and everything. And, you know, owners may talk about how their cats kind of seem amped up and it's because their, their metabolism mm -hmm. is just going so fast that they'll act, you know, all those fun behavior things that 
we'll talk about in just a second. So species typically affects cats, <laughs> middle-aged to older cats, like Yvonne said. It actually is considered the most common endocrine disease of our feline friends. Yeah. Um, it can affect dogs, but it's rare. And there's no real breed or sex predispositions. It's, it doesn't favor one cat over the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, unfortunately it doesn't. <laughs> so our history is pretty... I wouldn't say easy just because I guess in my brain it can be easy, but it it's like a lot of the internal medicine diseases where I think, well, the main it is straightforward. It's not, it's not one of those diseases that it's not a disease that is, um, hidden or cloaky, right? Like it just, it just comes on and you're mm-hmm. like, Ooh, and you test and you're like, got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So these patients typically have unintended weight loss or rapid weight loss, especially for our heavier patients Mm. where clients might not really notice that their cat is losing weight, but it it seems rapid where all of a sudden, you know, like, and I say all of a sudden, but in like a couple of reality, it's usually over a couple months, (laughs) which I mean, it's pretty, (laughs) they go from being a 20 pound cat to a normal size cat. (laughs) Yes. Or they go from like, you know, 10, 12 pounds and all of a sudden they're down to like seven or eight. And, and that can be, yeah. you know, two, three months. And again, they're eating. So it's like, why are you losing weight? You know, what's, what's causing all the calories to be consumed? Well, and because they're eating clients don't typically notice the weight loss right off the bat anyway, until it mm-hmm. becomes extremely noticeable well, because they're or like, they go eating and acting fine. Right. And then they'll go, well, but it's an older cat. So sometimes they just say, yeah. oh, it's an older cat. He's just getting skinny because he's older he's getting well, old yeah <laughs> that's not quite yeah. how it works but okay <laughs> so polyphagia is definitely on the history list here just because again they're eating ravenously they're usually asking for more they definitely have behavior changes and this mm. can be nervousness so you might have a cat who hides a little bit more than normal um excitability you have the cat who just gets the zoomies like crazy especially mm-hmm. in the middle of the night and they just become more excited just because their body is at a constant state of just high energy. Mm-hmm. They're vocalizing They're like more. Up. Yeah. Yep. Um, and they do that like old cat them. vocalizing. If you've, if you've ever had that old cat, that's just, sometimes you can hear it in this podcast. I swear to God, I keep checking my cat for <laughs> hyperthyroidism and he's not, but they'll just like kind of do that thing and then they'll just run around and you're like what what are you what is what is up what is happening yeah 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 they can have vomiting diarrhea vomiting is definitely high up on the list because and and, because a lot of but here's my thing is a lot of clients will say well it's just because he's eating too fast and then right right after and you're like "Uh, yeah no And then they can be PUPD as well. So polyuria, polydipsia, Mm. um, again, just due to that increased cell metabolism. So our differential diagnosis list is pretty vague right now, just based off of symptoms, but you can have things it can be, (laughs) (laughs) you can have kind of gastritis. Yes. Even though we said polyphagic, they can still have some form of gastritis. They can have diabetes mellitus. They can have IBD or neoplasia, uh, our wonderful lymphoma friend Mm. patients sometimes still want to eat, but they'll have vomiting, diarrhea, weight loss with all of those things. And then of course, just our our vague renal disease, liver disease, and then cardiac disease, which I'm going to get into a little bit more in just a little bit. Well, yeah. Thyroid disease and cardiac disease and kidney disease. Like those three are usually hand in hand. Um, Mm -hmm. whereas like differential diagnosis for some of the other ones, we just rule them out usually. Right. And then, yes. Um, whereas just because you have thyroid disease doesn't mean you don't have kidney disease or cardiac disease. So exactly. But like we kind of talked about in our vomiting episode, which is episode number three, which is like our most popular episode. So I know everybody's <laughs> right? talking, like knows what I'm talking about, but we talk about how vomiting can actually be a sign of coughing from heart disease. Mm. So again, cardiac disease definitely needs to be on the differential list. Well, and, and I, again, this week, um, had a client who was like, yeah, my cat's just trying to get up a hairball and clearing his throat. And I was like, I that's coughing. (laughs) I was like, your cat has bronchitis and had pneumonia. Um, that that's coughing. So it, it, it blows my mind how, few clients understand what cat coughing looks like. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so again, it's really good to definitely ask a client if their pet has hairballs. Usually this is me, any vomiting, any hairballs. And they'll say, no, they don't vomit. They, you know, they just bring up their hairballs like once a week. And I'm like, and they always say this, they say they cough up their hairballs and I'm like, hairballs aren't coughing. It's vomiting, but coughing without hairballs can be coughing. So clients are just silly and they don't get it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good old history. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. So on physical exam, though, when we're starting our diagnostics, because the first step to our diagnostics is physical exam. And I don't talk about physical exam in a lot of the other episodes because this one is just different. (laughs) It is a little different. Yep. So you're going to see weight loss or muscle loss or both. It's not just, you know, now we can see our hip bones and stuff, but sometimes you can see that their head might be a little sunken in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Tachycardia is definitely notable, noted on physical exam. So if you're obtaining your heart rate or pulse rate, you're going to note some tachycardia. Heart murmurs or cardiac arrhythmias or both can be heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, they definitely have a poor hair coat. I know a lot of those, a lot of times these cats come in and I'm just like, you're skinny, you cry a lot you eat a lot, you vomit, and your hair coat looks like you are Churchill from Pet Cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Turns out that cat was just hyperthyroid this whole time. It was just trying to eat people. Oh, <laughs> how sad. <laughs> we diagnosed him. <laughs> anyway, um, they can have a thyroid slip. So this is where you like stick your fingers and I'm on video. So Yvonne can see what I'm doing, but (laughs) you're definitely doing it appropriately. Yeah. So you start up just kind of beneath the chin around the larynx, and then you kind of run your fingers down the trachea on either side. And you're going to feel that thyroid gland kind of slip back up into position through your fingers. And Um, the reason for that is because the thyroid gland is bigger. mm -hmm. And so it just kind of it's, it, it's not like it detaches and moves. It's just because it's bigger. And so it feels like you can feel it kind of bump back to normal. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Jordan can see me on video and can see what I'm doing. <laughs> you guys can't. So there. <laughs> One of these days, we'll just make like a collection of all the videos. Oh God. No, nobody wants to see it. <laughs> <laughs> also on physical exam. Um, but I guess maybe not on physical exam specifically. I put it also down in the testing. So yeah, let me skip that part for now. But one thing I didn't write down <laughs> was the fact that these cats a lot of times have like super dilated pupils. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, so um, it doesn't happen super frequently, but every once in a while you'll have a cat come in and, and with this thing called a thyroid storm, and it's, and it's a cat who, when, when you test the numbers, they're like, I don't know, 14, 15, something insane. Right. And, um, what's happening is it's just, it's gone off the, the crazy train as far as like the thyroid levels and the stress just sets them off. So they'll come in like, like vocalizing, panting, um, super stressed out, tachycardic. And because of all that stress, they actually, um, it's like, it, it's not really that they come in shock, but they are very much compromised. And, and those cats sometimes have to be hospitalized because they've just like their, their metabolism and everything is spun out of control and they're super stressed. And, you know, you just kind of have to like get them through that crisis moment and they may need oxygen because they're just like consuming everything super quick. So, you know, it, it doesn't happen very frequently. I think I've seen like maybe two or three my entire career, but it, but yeah. it can happen. Um, so just kind of be aware that if you see a cat that comes in in distress, you know, that it can be from a thyroid and it's called a thyroid storm. Um, and one thing that when we talk about physical exam, the weight loss and muscle loss. This is, this is one of those places where it's really good to use your body condition score 
and the muscle condition score to kind of help track what they're doing and, and mm-hmm. help clients understand what to look for as we go forward with treatment. Um, some of the things they can see, like hopefully the muscle comes back and some of that weight comes back. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, during physical exam, you can see that. Yeah. So typically for diagnostics, we're going to do our, our baseline biochemistry, <laughs> CBC, <What>? UA, <laughs> Do the full run through of all the, all the bloods. (laughs) Our biochemistry can actually show mild elevations in ALT and ALK-FOS. Just because again, cell metabolism happens in the liver. It can cause our liver to work a little harder. CBC can show erythrocytosis, which is just an elevated um, red blood cell count or hematocrit. A lymphocytosis or a neutrophilia can be noted as well. A UA we want to do just to rule out things like renal disease or diabetes mellitus, just to make sure that we're not spilling glucose in our urine, making sure that we're concentrating our urine fine, just ruling out other diseases, not necessarily ruling in hyperthyroid. Right. Um, A lot of these patients we do a blood pressure on, especially if they have those super dilated pupils or Mm. if we're concerned about other underlying diseases, just because systemic hypertension is pretty common with these thyroid patients and it contribute and it can contribute to just kind of more progressing other diseases that can be caused by thyroid disease. So it can contribute to heart thickening. It can also damage the kidneys like we've talked about in the past Um, yeah, so we definitely want to make sure that we get that a baseline for that. But again, stress can also play a part here, but we want to try to minimize stress when obtaining a blood pressure, just so we can get an accurate number. Yeah. And, and it's, it's hard with these guys too, because when they do have that high blood pressure, right, the stress is going to make it worse, but we're talking like blood pressure is like 180, 200, Mm -hmm. you know, those, those are ones that, oh you know, definitely get off on a, <laughs> issues with kidneys and hearts. We had a kidney patient come in the other day. Mm. This is actually a really good story because it came in for renal disease, but also epistaxis. Ooh. Uh. And so we originally were thinking like, oh shoot, we're going to have to do a CT rhino. But then we, we got the blood work basically at the same time as the appointment came and creatinine was like five. Hmm. We're like, well, that's not a good candidate for anesthesia. And then we checked the blood pressure because we're like, dude, pulses are like through the roof. Yeah. Dude, the blood pressure was like, I think it was 270. Yikes. Oh my God. That's so scary. Could that cat still see? That's what we couldn't quite figure out. It seemed like he could, (laughs) but we're just like, oh my God. (laughs) So anyway, we didn't do CT rhino because we're like, your cat's nose is bleeding from high blood pressure probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um because the cat would sneeze and the, the epistaxis wasn't very frequent, but mm-hmm. the cat would sneeze and then start bleeding. Mm-hmm. But so it also wasn't being treated for kidney disease at the time that we had seen it. So wow, it's one of those things where you like forget that high blo- like hypertension can cause epistaxis. Did you, uh, this is kind of random, but did you see pulses in the neck? So because I'm deathly allergic to cats, I wasn't actually a huge part of the right. cat's appointment. I just heard a lot about it. Like my coworker came out of the room. Allergies, was like, girl. <laughs> <laughs> my coworker came out of the room. Was like, dude, blood pressure is like two seventy. I was like, are you sure? She's like, I did it like several times. So I was like, I mean, I'm sure you're probably sure. Like, Ugh. it's always scary just, when that happens. Yeah, it was crazy. You're like, let's not blow out your retinas. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Anyway. Moving back to hyperthyroidism. And that can, uh, during a thyroid storm, 100% can happen too. Yes. So, scary. Yeah. So we're going to obviously be checking our thyroid levels. So we look for our total T4, and usually that's going to be elevated, but with some concurrent or non-concurrent non-thyroidal illnesses, these can actually falsely suppress your T4 levels. So if we're battling some other sort of disease concurrently like diabetes Mm. or something like that. Um, and the patients are very stressed out. It can definitely suppress those T4 levels. So just because you get a, if you still suspect hyperthyroidism, but you get a normal T4 level, it's still recommended to treat whatever, what other underlying diseases there might be, and then recheck the thyroid level at a later, later date. Um, elevated free T4 by dialysis. So it's recommended to 
run a free T4 by dialysis and typically that's elevated, that level is less affected by other illnesses that the body might be battling. So sometimes that's a better indicator, especially again, if you're battling something alongside of the hyperthyroidism. Mm. We recommend thoracic radiographs just because a lot of times these feline pets can have like clinical evidence of heart disease, so heart thickening, because thyroid toxicosis can actually lead to cardiac hypertrophy. And that's typically due to just the elevated metabolic state, um, also peripheral vasodilation and just increased demands on the heart, especially if we're battling with hypertension as well. Yeah, because then then the the heart just has to work so much harder to, Mm -hmm. you know, deal with that increased blood pressure. And yeah, it's just not, it's never a good thing when you've got hypertrophy and, and thyroid disease and kidney disease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then kind of the, the big test here would be now I've never done this, but read a lot about it and I would like yeah. to see one, but thyroid scintigraphy. So what this is, is it's like, a it's a procedure that allows doctors to visualize like the thyroid tissue that's responsible for hyperthyroidism. And it's typically recommended to have this test performed if patients or clients are considering like a surgical thyroidectomy or radioactive iodine, because what it does is it specifically targets said tissue that we want to target with the radioactive iodine or surgery to remove it. So yeah. What and happens- I was going to say the big reason why they prefer to do this is because if you have ectopic thyroid tissue and mm-hmm. you do surgery, the problem is, is like, if you have thyroid tissue somewhere else in the body, other than in the thyroid gland, cause that can happen. If you surgically remove part of the thyroid gland, well, you're not getting the other tissues for scintigraphy. It's interesting because they use the radioactive iodine, they inject it. And so the, cause remember you have to have the iodine molecule, um, because that is used by thyroid tissue to produce T4 and T3. So what happens is you, you inject the radioactive iodine, it goes to those tissues and then they take, um, I think it's an X-ray. I think it's an X-ray and that, and, and because it's like a contrast medium at that point, it lights up the tissues that have like um, absorbed that radioactive iodine, which is usually thyroid glands. Cause thyroid is really the big thing that uses, um, iodine. And so, you know, that's a good way to make sure that there isn't like ectopic thyroid tissue somewhere else that either one, you have to go and surgically remove that tissue or you use a different treatment method because now we have, you know, um, we have ectopic tissue that's not going to be removed surgically unless we go to that space. So Mm -hmm. it is, um, so when we talk about like radioactive iodine therapy, like the treatment, um, I bet they probably look at that and they probably do scintigraphy for like I-131. Yeah. It's recommended for that too. So I don't, but but I don't know if it's like automatically part of that procedure. You know what I mean? I guess it probably depends on the place that does it. Yeah. So Um, But in order to positively diagnose hyperthyroidism with scintigraphy, the uptake of that that radioactive iodine needs to be greater than the uptake that the salivary glands do um, in order to positively diagnose it as hyperthyroid. Interesting. So it'll like glow brighter. Yes. Hmm. Which makes sense. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I was going to ask you, did, um, cause we talked about thyroid levels. So we check the total T4 in a free EDT or EDT4 or T4 ED. Um, do you, did it also talk about checking a T3 for these patients or is that not so common with cats? So it's not so common with cats. That is definitely more of a dog thing. Okay. You definitely, you can, but there was, there's like cost prohibits with 
that, but I guess if you're going to do skintigraphy, you might as well do a T3, but it's, it's not as accurate in cats as it is mm. in dogs. Yeah. I was going to say, cause I, I don't think I've ever run a T3 on cat. I mean, honestly, we don't do a ton of T3s in general, but mm-hmm. sometimes we'll do like a thyroid panel, which has like yeah, the a T3. T4, free T4, total T4 and a T3 and TSH and yeah, all, it has all the things in it. So I was just wondering if, um, but I don't, but I don't usually run that on cats. I usually run it on dogs, which is, mm-hmm. I was wondering about that, which is interesting. Yeah. So a lot of our diagnostic tests can definitely gear us more towards hyperthyroidism, but kind of, like I said, a little bit ago, where even though some of those blood tests come back normal, it might need to be repeated if hyperthyroidism is still strongly suspected just based off of symptoms. Uh, so treatment, definitely first line of treatment def like needs to be addressed towards the concurrent illness. Cause again, if we're getting some normal results, even though we strongly suspect hyperthyroidism, we want to treat the other concurrent diseases like renal disease or cardiac disease, high blood pressure, and then recheck some of those values just to make sure that we're not still battling with hyperthyroidism. Because again, if we don't treat that, which we'll talk about a little bit more too, it can lead just to more damage of your kidney disease or your heart disease. Yeah. So a couple different ways to treat hyperthyroidism, and we've already kind of touched on it a little bit, but I think the most common way is medical management. And this Mm -hmm. is achieved with antithyroid or antithyroid drugs, such as methimazole. And that's used to inhibit the synthesis of thyroid hormones. It's not cytotoxic. So it's not actually doing anything for the thyroid nodules. And those might still continue to get larger and dose adjusting may be needed. So, you know, at one point you're feeling a thyroid slip, you start methamazole and the cat does well for a couple of years. And then after a couple of years, maybe the thyroid feels a little bit bigger and they need to go up on their methamazole. Mm-hmm. Dosing can be once to three times a day. Whew, dang. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and I, so for methamazole, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but, um, so there's the generic methamazole that I think most, most of us are familiar with. And then there's the brand Felamazole. Um, and I've mm-hmm. seen, and now there's the, um, topical methamazole. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So we've seen, so I think that the tablets, right. Just the generic methamazole is probably, kind of the go-to for most of the doctors in our area. Like when patients come in, cause most of the times we're not diagnosing a hyperthyroid cat. I feel like most general practices will diagnose a thyroid cat and, and we only see them if there's yeah. further issues, but I, I was gonna say, I don't think I've ever seen just a thyroid cat. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, you're, you're here. Yeah, I am. yeah. Um, we usually have the cats with concurrent diseases. Uh, but you know, we, we do sometimes, so most of them will use the generic methamazole. We've seen some where the generic methamazole just doesn't work as well. And, and we don't know why. So we'll switch them to Felamazole and all of a sudden Mm -hmm. they do much better. So just, you know, kind of keep that in the back of your head. If you've got a cat that's not reacting the way, you know, maybe they're just harder to control, try switching to the brand if, if it's not already on the brand. Um, and then the topical methamazole. Um, so it's like usually the the pens that you use on the ear, um, mm-hmm. that can work great for some patients. Um, just keep in mind that there, there can be issues. So we've had some cats that react to it on their ear and they actually, um, not really like a burn, but almost like a allergic reaction on their ear. So warn clients about that. And there can be, um, there can be negative reactions to methamazole. And, and this is, I think mm-hmm. where internal medicine comes in, where you'll yeah. see these, <laughs> see these patients come in and they, and it, and they get bone marrow suppression or, um, like liver toxicity. I don't know. Have you seen those? No, but I've seen bone marrow. So I, I wrote medication can cause basically negative side effects, like yeah. blood panel changes, which is, you know, changes to our CBC that might lead us to believe that we are having some bone marrow changes that can cause lethargy, vomiting, even some inappetence in some of these patients. Mm-hmm. 
and typically that'll require just alternative methods for treatment. Yeah. So like Yvonne said, either trying a different form of the medication. Um, or they just don't get that medication in the future, which is a bummer because it's so, so easy to do if you can. <laughs> yeah. It's so cheap and easy. Yeah. Second form of treatment is surgical. So thyroidectomy, it's pretty common procedure. Um, but like Yvonne already mentioned, they can actually have hyperplastic thyroid tissue, like within their thoracic inlet or near their interior mediastinum. And this will actually allow for not full surgical removal. So even with surgery, these patients might still need medication in the future. Mm -hmm. So scintigraphy should be used prior to surgery just to identify if this tissue is present. Cats after surgery, definitely inform your clients that cats might still be hyperthyroid, but maybe to a lesser degree. Um, there's also the risks of surgery, like damaging the parathyroid glands or the blood supply to the thyroid, the mm -hmm. parathyroid glands. And this can sometimes result in like hypocalcemia. So low calcium levels, it's not usually permanent, but it can be, mm -hmm. but in all of these patients who have a, a thyroidectomy, it's recommended to check calcium levels post-op on a daily basis for up to seven days based on the patient. Um, and sh these, these patients should be, should be monitored for signs and symptoms of hypocalcemia. Surgery can also pose other risks like developing laryngeal paralysis, that would suck in a cat. syndrome, <laughs> and then of course, hypothyroidism. So you correct it too much and you make the cat hypothyroid. <laughs> right. But I got to say, if I had a choice between hypo or hyper, hypo has a lot less like other effects to your heart and <laughs> like I mean there's you know, other other things that are going to be an issue but I think they're less um how do I want to say this I think they're more quality of life than mm -hmm. um detrimental to life yes yeah. <laughs> I don't know the best way to say that so yeah yeah. And then these patients too can be definitely like poor Ooh. anesthetic candidates, yeah. especially if they've been untreated. Um, so if they're in a thyroid storm or even if they're just a newly diagnosed hyperthyroid patient, it's recommended just to treat with medications for at least six to 12 weeks, because again, you don't know the extent of the damage to their heart. Yeah. Um, also, that was one thing I forgot to put under diagnostics was like an EKG, but <laughs> mm, yeah, I, I, a cardio consult is always a good idea for these guys um, because yeah. you don't always see the damage to the heart on x-rays. Um, so having a cardio consult is a good idea, especially because they can, you know, if there is damage, you know, they can recommend medications to help support them. Mm -hmm. They can also manage the blood pressure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now do you guys do you see a lot of surgical management of these guys no I don't really think, I don't think I've seen one I'm like it's a common procedure I'm like hmm, I don't think I've ever seen a thyroidectomy on a cat for a hyperthyroid cat no and I, and I, I don't know why I don't think I have either but I think a lot of times those clients because I know it's been recommended and I know a lot of clients who definitely but they've gone to like universities for it Hmm. And then they never really follow up with us. The only time I ever see a thyroidectomy is like a dog with a yeah, thyroid tumor. Right. I wonder if it's because of the scintigraphy that they don't like, like we don't offer that in our practice. Yeah. We don't offer it either. So I'm wondering if that's why we just don't see as many. Um, yeah, probably. Because you'd probably need to have that ability before surgery. Would be ideal. Yeah. <laughs> Um, third method of treatment would be radio iodine therapy. So kind of like Yvonne already talked about, it's a very safe method of treatment, even though it's considered like chemotherapy and you should be cautious around it. Yeah. Um, I-131, iodine-131 is just preferred choice for destroying hyperfunctional thyroid tissue. The great thing about I-131 is it can be given IV, it can be given sub-Q, or it can be given orally. Um, hmm. After dosing with I-131, it concentrates in the thyroid gland mostly, like roughly 80%, but it is, it is excreted through the urine and then even less excretion in the stool. Yeah. So be cautious, label your cages, label your, um, just inform your staff that I-131 is being done. And then you got to inform the clients too, to handle litter boxes with care. Typically these patients are kept in the hospitalized 
kept in the hospital um, while the radiation levels decrease. And that's roughly like one to two weeks, eight days ish. Yeah, we, I think I-131, it's not done in most practices because I think you have to have special licenses for it because Mm -hmm. it is radioactive material. (laughs) (laughs) So these, these places have to go through very strict regulations to become licensed to do it. Um, So this isn't something that you're typically doing in most practices or even most specialty practices. Um, And then because they are radioactive, um, they're hospitalized with minimal handling Mm -hmm. because of the radiation that that can happen. So it's a very it's a very specific way of, of handling them and treating them. I I think it'd be kind of fun to, to talk to someone who works in I-131 practice. I know Um, in my building, they used to do I-131. Oh, really? Yeah. Like when I first started working there and then they discontinued it, um, when there's like corporation change stuff with interesting practices. Yeah. But it's great because most cats typically after, uh, radioiodine therapy will yeah. actually have a normal thyroid function within a month, which is, which is pretty amazing. Um, but recheck should definitely be continued for up to six months just to monitor thyroid levels. Yeah. We, um, the, the place that we send our patients to, they, they recommend the thyroid hormone as well as kidney values. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what else? I think blood pressures and, and heart checks. Um, at one month, three months, and then six months, I think is kind of how they, they do it post treatment. And, and we've had a couple of them and it's amazing. The difference in these cats, amazing. Like they go looking from like a 26 year old cat to looking like they're, you know, 12 to 14 years old. Like it's, it's crazy. The difference on these, these animals, just like health and quality of life and everything. Yeah. And it, it really does because, work well. Yeah. And it sucks because trying to convince a client that their old looking cat is going to look way better and feel better. They're like, ah, it's old. And you're like, but it's just the thyroid hormone. And, um, and yeah. And you, but like convincing clients that they're not going to have to give like twice a day meds for the rest of the cat's life. Yeah. But it can't be like pretty pricey. I want to, there's yeah. a clinic that does it around me. And I think it's like $2,000, but that includes like the boarding for the week. And yeah, I, don't, I can't remember how much it is at the clinic near me, but I, I want to say it was like two to three it's last like 25 time. I or something. Yeah. yeah. Mine's usually more expensive than yours. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Yay. Yeah. San Francisco Bay area. <laughs> yeah. But it's like the treatment plus the boarding and, and all that stuff that's included. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then of course, um, there's iodine restricted diets, which I'm definitely not trying to push Hills, but that's the only one that I know of. Yeah. I think, um, I think Hills <laughs> is the only one right now that has it specifically that has been tested and approved for an yeah. iodine restricted diet, which um, is the YD diet. And so again, I guess the main thing with this one and why I didn't write a lot of notes about it is because it's really important for these clients to just feed that diet exclusively. And for some yeah. reason that's super hard for clients to do. Um. <laughs> well, and the other, the other really important thing about this is you cannot have non hyperthyroid cats eating that food. Yes. So if you have a multi-cat household and you can't keep them separated, it's not going to be an option. Like yeah, it's either you don't want to suppress cat. your normal cats. Yes, exactly. Thyroid. You're like, Oh, I've made them hypothyroid. Cool. Um, so it's really important either single cat house or they all have, <laughs> they're all hyperthyroid <laughs> or you can feed them like in a different room. So that means like no free feeding. And again, super important. These cats cannot have anything else. They can't have treats. They can't eat anything else because any food that is going to have iodine in it basically counterbalance the YD. Um, and so we have a couple um, we, we just switched one that had, um, uh, toxicosis from methamazole, um, mm-hmm. to Whitey and she's doing great with it. Um, so yeah, the cats that I've seen yeah. where clients are actually able to do it, like they do really well mm-hmm. now, now typically, so these 
cats should be started on medication and then the medication should be tr- like titrated down. And sometimes Ideally, they, well, yeah. a lot of times they can, they can get completely off this medication while on the diet, but you got to like slowly titrate it down. So you do need to start meds, feed the diet. And while they're getting used to the diet, slowly cut back on meds. Yeah. Especially depending on what their numbers are. Um, unfortunately mm-hmm. with our cat, cause again, had methamazole toxicity, <laughs> we couldn't titrate. We were like, Nope, we're stopping that now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like, let's switch over to the diet. And so, you know, it, I, in an ideal world, yeah, that's what you would do is start the, the medication to kind of help bring those numbers down. And then the food helps kind of like almost maintain it. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, like we've, we've had a couple that do really well with it. Um, that probably go like, well for the ones who have like a surgical, like thyroidectomy, but still have a little bit of that tissue, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the ectopic tissue. Yeah. Those patients probably do really well on that diet. So client communication is kind of like all over the place with these patients though, just because it really depends on the method that they choose <laughs> to treat these cats. So although we kind of think that hyperthyroidism is a benign endocrine disorder. It's really not just because if left untreated, this disease can definitely eventually lead to death just due to Mm. malnutrition and even cardiac damage or renal damage from blood pressure. They can go blind from elevated blood pressure. Mm -hmm. So if it's unregulated, it really can lead to just more serious problems long-term. Yeah. So the thyroidism itself is probably not going to kill the cat, but everything else will. (laughs) But all all the other concurrent diseases that start cropping up are going to be what it is. Yeah. (laughs) There's definitely many different costs. There's cheap routes to go for Mm -hmm. for treating thyroid disease. There's expensive routes. There's permanent routes. There's semi-permanent routes. (laughs) It's very variable for this disease and for our clients. So I think just opening the communication and letting clients know all the different options and then make them help them make the choice as to what might be best for them. Maybe people really can't medicate their cat. Maybe you have a super aggressive cat that you love dearly and you can't medicate it (laughs) twice a day. Right. So maybe something like surgery or radioactive iodine might be a better option for these, these pets, or it's your only mean cat in the house. It's your only cat in the house in general. And the YD diet's perfect because, Mm -hmm. you know, all sorts of different options that would never work in my house because my cats eat things off the counters. So yeah, <laughs> I'm like, it would never work. <laughs> I'd have, it I'd have it to wouldn't do work one of for my parents. Cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It definitely wouldn't work for my parents' cat. Cause he, he goes like outside and eats stuff too. Yeah. And then based on the choice of treatment, rechecks will vary as well. So mm-hmm. based on what they decide to do, you're rechecking levels at different intervals, you're rechecking CBCs, you're rechecking kidney values. It really depends on the route that they decide to take. Mm. It's the tip of the week. So tip of the week this week, even though I've already kind of said it, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's still my tip because I do think it's very easy to underestimate hyperthyroidism. Mm. Um, so because it's considered benign and it's considered easy to manage, like just don't underestimate it. Right. It can cause other, like other damage to other parts of the body, especially the heart, especially don't underestimate that, that high blood pressure and that hypertension. Um, so I think that's really important to just drive home. Right. <laughs> and, and, and remember that, you know, as you're treating, the hyperthyroid, like especially a newly diagnosed one, I guess this is part of that tip of the week, right? Newly diagnosed hyperthyroid, you may need to start on blood pressure medication, but then as the, the mm-hmm. thyroid gets under control, you know, we can either taper or take completely off of the, th- the blood pressure medication. So, you know, that might be also part of, you know, the monitoring is monitoring for blood pressure and like, okay, cool you know, this has become more normal. We can now start tapering off of the blood pressure medication as the thyroid is, is better regulated. So, um, that's, that's something to remember too. Like, don't just put like, hopefully your doctors aren't doing this. They're just putting them on medications and just leaving them there without rechecking blood pressures because <laughs> low blood pressure is also a problem. <laughs> and now for the question of the week. Question of the week this week is purely for me because I've never done one. Um, yeah. Has anybody in, been involved in skin procedure like 
do you have pictures of it? How did it go? Were you doing it prior to surgery or prior to radioactive iodine treatment? Mm. I just want to know a little bit more about it. How did it go? What, because I'm assuming you got to also take precautions after the diagnostic testing, just because it's still radioactive. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, that's an interesting, like, so if you're doing scintigraphy, is this, is it the same wash? Like if you were doing, if you were doing I-131? Yeah. Huh. That's because I know it has a fairly short half-life based on like what I was reading, depending on what method you use, there's different methods, like there's different contrast materials that you can use. I'm curious. Mm. So please share on our Facebook page, share in the membership site. If you are a part of that share, on the internal medicine for vettex.com page <laughs> we post the question in a lot of different places but it's not hard to get a hold of us right. let me know exactly <laughs> so true <sighs> anything else about hyperthyroidism this week that we can touch on I'm trying to think if there is we should we should do we should get some before and after pictures per client's approval Ooh, I don't know if I have any good ones. That's what I mean. I've gotten before pictures, but I'm not sure. Well, also I haven't managed a true hyperthyroid case in so long. You know, I have a coworker whose family pet had a thyroid storm actually like in my clinic. This is why I know Mm. about it. And she had I-131. So I bet you I can ask her for some before and after pictures. That'd be cool. Mm. We should get some before and after pictures. I should ask her if that'd be cool. Yeah. that'd be fun. Yeah. It, it, it would be neat to see kind of some, some like, especially with stories. different treatment options. Yeah. Like if we could compare, like, this is a cat on Methimazole. This is a cat who had I-131 six <laughs> months ago. Like, yeah. you know, like it'd be cool. Very true. Nice. So but definitely again, share with us approval. client approval. Don't just do it without talking to them. Um, and then let's see, find us in all the places. <laughs> all the places uh remember if you um sign up for the newsletter we we do have our newsletter so go internal medicine for vet um we try to send out emails about each episode <clears throat> october was a little bit of a i i had to recoup from vet tech week apparently <laughs> um, i did not send out the emails like i was supposed to sorry i'm gonna get back on that guys October was a very busy month though. Yeah. Just in time for us to take on more projects. By the way, thank you, Tanya, for your support and everybody (laughs) who commented on that Facebook post about making me feel not as crazy as I was already feeling. Okay. And if nobody knows what we're talking about, (laughs) Jordan and I, we were like, ah, we're not taking on enough stuff. Um, so we decided (laughs) to, uh, apply for our bachelor's degree in veterinary technology. So (laughs) we are waiting for our transcripts to be approved and then we're going to start classes. And Tanya says we're not crazy. And I think Liza chimed in and said we weren't crazy. I know. (sighs) And she, a lot of people said we weren't crazy. There was one person who said that they are, maybe they're going to do it with us. And I was like, sweet. (laughs) Oh, that'd be cool. We could totally have, okay. This is, she, she suggested a study group. We can have a study group within our membership. Because we yes. should, because we should also, well, we do have the study group potentially for, um, but who's, who's yes. yeah. So we can have a study group for, um, our bachelor's, bachelor's degree program. if we want, because I'm sure it'll cross over really well. Oh, sure. <laughs> yep. And I'm excited. Jordan, Jordan knows I'm super tired. And this is also part of the reason why I haven't been as good with emails and things. Um, I'm in the middle of building my she shed, which will be my office because I can't wait to get out of my three by three square in the kitchen. (laughs) And I Um, finished my office. I know you guys should see Jordan's office. It's pretty amazing. Actually. She got a new desk and everything. Yeah. Mine is, uh, mine is in pieces. It came from Costco in a box, (laughs) (laughs) actually in a pallet. (laughs) See, my husband made mine. I know your desk looks amazing, by the way. I love it. It looks, I'm, you I'm did such a good job. Happy. 
he made my shelves and everything like everything looks really really good and it was funny too because when he like when it was in the garage I was like dude that's so big like I don't need that much space and like what am I gonna do and then I put stuff on it and I was like thank god it's yeah like <laughs> I know I can't wait until we until both of us are set up in our little office slash student workspace and we'll have like I'm excited to get all my vet tech books out in like not mm-hmm. in a box because <laughs> right now stuff's still in boxes <laughs> and then it'll make life a lot easier and you guys watch out world when both of us have our offices it'll be amazing <laughs> but if anybody if anybody else wants to join us in the crazy bachelor degree or you're in the process of getting your bachelor degree or you're in the process of getting your BTS um, we will definitely have some study groups in our membership because the membership's all about getting your learn on. So join us there if you want. If you need some help figuring out how to convince your work to pay for it, let us know. Um, we're working on some stuff for that too. So yeah. Um, all right, cool. Anything else this week? I gotta no, run and start building my office actually while I'm thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> nope you all have a great i should have said y'all let me get my y'all <laughs> y'all have a great week <laughs> uh, and keep getting your learn on and we will chat at you next week all right guys have a wonderful week bye, bye. thank you for listening to today's episode of the internal medicine for vet techs podcast If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettex.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.